Welcome to SCD Church's podcast. You can always join us for our live services Saturday evenings and Sunday mornings out in our West Auditorium. You can also tune into our services live online at seacoastchrist.org or on our YouTube and Facebook pages. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, today we're going to be starting a new series. And this, hey, by the way, yes, we had a, a bunch of gifts for kids we were trying to raise for yes. children. All got fixed the first week. We got all taken care of the first week. Cool. Thank you guys. Good that job, guys. Unbelievable. Thank Very you. Very cool. For doing that. Uh, so we're starting a new series, and it's about how Christmas changes. And if you think about maybe how Christmas has changed over your life, just imagine for a moment what Christmas looked like when you were, say, 11 or 12 years old. Think about what the world looked like. Think about what you were into, what you were asking for for Christmas. Or think about what the Christmas tree looked like. So I have some Christmas trees here, and they sort of represent different generations and what traditionally the trees looked like during those decades. And so I just want to just see and survey the audience which one resonates with you the most. Looks like your childhood or your adolescence. And so right here we have, I would call this the OG tree here, original garland, the OG tree. And uh, you can no, imagine. Say, say it again, they're sleeping on you. Yeah, no, what? I know. They're just not with OG. it. OG. OG. Yeah, it's original. Original garland. garland. You just didn't right. think it was funny. Oh, sorry. Okay, fine. Oh, we got a critic in the third row. Yeah, Watch no. out. I know. I know. You'd imagine, though, these are like, these are actual little lamps and apples and things like that. This is, Doyle, this is primarily what you grew up with, right? This is before during, electricity. So yeah, before have, electricity, Martin Luther. Like, yeah. Me and Martin Luther. Yeah. So you know, does anybody know who Martin Luther was? Yeah. Like 1500s, right? Ballpark. And, and one time he was in the winter, he was in the snow, walking home, falls down, looks up and sees this moon coming through the leaves of a pine tree. And he thought, oh, that's cool. It's a good reminder of God's creation. He went home, put candles on the pine tree and some apples, and that's how it started. I don't know how long the tree lasted. I got a feeling they only did the candles one or two nights. But yeah, looks good. A little dangerous. Anybody, was this anybody's tree growing up, or does this look familiar simple, to anybody? A couple people. Yeah. Nope, you don't want to admit it now because it's going to make you feel old. All right, that's fine. All right, what about this one right here? This is like the tinsel tree. This is the very futuristic space age 50s and 60s tree. Anybody, anybody identify this? Like a jet, I call it the Jetsons. Anybody know who Jetsons were? Yeah, you know who that was? Okay, yeah, yeah. So anybody, did you have this growing up? So it's like, this is like 50s, early 60s maybe, yeah. Did you okay. ever have one of these or no? No. Okay, don't get offended. Okay, wow. maybe when I was really little. little maybe. Okay, yeah. man. But, I, but they did make some cool that weren't just like red, blue, yellow, and, 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 uh, and green. Some were like pink and right like on. baby blue. So right Righteous. Yeah. Righteous. Yeah. Okay, uh, now this is kind of the homemade Christmas tree. You can imagine that there's popcorn strings and there's homemade ornaments on here. And it's kind of like, like, a, like an elf vomited sort of on here. That's kind of the vibe I'm getting. Did anybody have this tree growing up? Yeah, this has been the most popular one. This is the one everybody had growing up. It's funny, I just found my picture. Yeah. It was a snowman. I know, that's weird. You are, you are much closer to Santa Claus than snowman, but... Um, Anyway, so, okay, so this is kind of, this is a lot, I feel like this is a lot of people, but I don't know if it's a Gen X millennial thing or if it's an everybody thing, but this one seems to be popular. And then this is like the designer tree right here, is you're not allowed to touch it. The presents are equally beautiful underneath. Let mom give you the presents. In fact, when you make those homemade ornaments, guess where they're going? Not on this tree, okay? <laughs> those are going on your tree, which is in your room upstairs where nobody will see it. And so this is a tree that I grew up with. As you can tell, I'm a little resentful. I'm still working through it in therapy. Um, 
But this is sort of the vibe that we had at my house. So, and then this last one. Uh, oh, by the way, did anybody else have a designer tree in their world? Anybody else have a designer tree? Yeah, I see those depressed hands. All right, good. Okay. Then we have this last one. And um, this one I would describe as it's a vibe because it's like a Gen, a, a Gen Z kind of thing. And we can only imagine what their tree is going to look like because they still live at home and we still don't know what their style is going to be. So we're going to guess. This is what their tree might look like one day when they finally grow up. Okay, so these are the trees. Now, hey, is, uh, before you quit, is, is there anybody who hasn't been insulted yet? <laughs> any, any age group? Because he'll, he'll get you. Okay, good. All right, good. Yeah. So it's kind of fun to think about how Christmas has changed over the decades. And in the coming weeks, we're going to talk about different ways that it's changed and what it's looked like. But the core message of Christmas hasn't changed. It's remained the same for the last couple thousand years. In fact, I think the thing that we really want at Christmas hasn't changed either. Now, we're going to talk about some of the things that we ask for. But what are the things that we really want? So today, Daryl's going to be talking about that. So um, uh, this whole idea of Christmas changes... Uh, we think about the, the, the styles and, the, and, the, and, and given what's going on in the world, and we could have gone a lot further with this, and, and uh, there are a lot of things that change uh, on the surface, superficially, about, but the real message of Christmas is still the same, and we still need it. We still need the real message of Christmas. The real historical event of what happened at Christmas, we still need that in our lives. And today I want to talk about um, why it is that uh, some of us uh, are more uh, able to accept that message, readily accept that message than others. Uh, because the message is true. Uh, Christ came, and we could have that conversation if you want. But today, uh, it is true, and, and we know it's true. And if you'd like to have the other conversation, I'd be happy, or Cody would be happy to talk to you about that. But why is it that I believe that it hasn't had full impact in all of our lives? Because sometimes it's hard to receive certain messages. So I want to begin by reading what happened. Uh, the Christmas event is found in the beginning of Luke, in the beginning of Matthew. And here's what it says in the beginning of Luke, in uh, chapter 2. And there were shepherds li uh, living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. By the way, do not be afraid should be the bumper sticker slogan for Christmas. Because we all think it's joy to the world, peace on earth, goodwill. But if you were at the first Christmas, it would have scared the snot out of you. It, again and again, the phrase we hear is, do not be afraid. So let's just think about this. This might be a little, little clue as to why maybe the message isn't getting through for some of us. Um, God Almighty, <laughs> omniscient, omnipotent, all-knowing, all-powerful, has come to earth. That should scare you a little bit. That should wake you up. At least give you a little pause. Like, oh, he's here. Okay. Um, right? And so there is this level of reverence that I think we as Christians need to enter into this season with. That God would so love us that he would condescend. And that's not an insult. It means he would come down to us on earth to tell us something and to do something for us that nobody else could do. It is an awesome thing. When we think about Christmas, we shouldn't think about the superficiality, the changing trends. We should think about the awesome fact that God has come. What an amazing thing. So it goes on. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news. That's the first one. We're going to talk about that today. That will cause great joy. We'll talk about that next week. 
for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace. That's our third week. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. That's the good news. And the good news is that not just a baby was born, but it was God who came to not only forgive us for all the things we couldn't forgive ourselves for, and we couldn't find forgiveness, we couldn't earn forgiveness, to forgive us, to change us, to because of his death and resurrection, to give us the hope of forever in heaven with him. He came to do all of that and so much more, and that is the essence of the good news. It's interesting how people receive news. Recently, a friend of mine sat me down, wanted to talk, and the first words out of his mouth was, I've got bad news. I've got the worst news for you. And you know, my, there's an interesting thing that happens, by the way, when people give you news, good or bad. When people give you news, there's several things happen. First thing is you have a question. So my, my question mark when he said that was, oh my goodness, this is really bad. Who's dying? Who's divorcing? But the good news, it was, it was just disappointing news. It wasn't bad news. It wasn't nobody was dying or divorcing or lost at sea. It was just some disappointing news. The reality is, is we all receive news differently. And when the angels came to bring the good news, it wasn't just good news. It was the best possible news ever. It was the best news in all of history. There is no other good news that compares to this. And we need to look at ourselves and figure out how are we going to receive this message? Because I, I, I suggest you, I've been doing this for a couple of years now. 45 years now, speaking about Christmas. And I decided early on, I was never just going to do it from rote memorization or just get up and go, same old. I, every year, study scripture, pray and say, God, show me something in this, some uh, implication for my life, some impact, some consequence of Christmas that I've not focused on before so that I can receive this good news in a fresh way every year. And this year, I, I kind of found something I think is interesting, and I, I hope you find it interesting as well. Because in receiving good news every year, it's, it's, it's not like just a one-time event that stands alone in history. It is the one-time event that ripples throughout history, both world history and my own personal history, again and again and again. And I believe because of that, we can receive good news. If we are able to receive good news, if we are ready to receive good news, God will make new and fresh application of this gift every year if we will listen. And I want, to, I want us to do that together. Um, there's people receive good news in different ways. I saw this video clip. In. It's a little crude. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm going to try to express it in a way that's not crude. But So this, this family is at dinner, and there is mom and dad, and then the married uh, daughter and her husband and some other relatives. And so throughout dinner, and they kind of splice together, throughout dinner, the daughter, the married daughter, is trying to drop hints about an upcoming event. And eventually mom figures it out, and she goes, oh my gosh, are you expecting? And she said, yes. And mom jumps up, and it begins to dance around, literally dance around with her hands there, going, I was praying, I was praying, thank you, Jesus, I was praying, thank you, Jesus. She's running around, she's so excited. And I'm thinking, well, that's a, kind of a cool way to, you know, to, to experience good news. And then they said, well, we know if it's a boy or a girl. And, and, and so what is it? And they told her, and, and she got so excited, and, she, and pretty soon she oops. And I, I won't describe what happened, but she lost control of a bodily function. I know, it's crude. It's church. I'm sorry. But different people receive good news in different ways, evidently. I remember when Chelsea and Matt came and told me they were pregnant. And, and the thought of a little Chelsea running around, I just brought tears to my eyes. It was just, it was wonderful. When Cody came, 
Well, anyway, it was when Chelsea... <laughs> Thank goodness uh, Cody's kids took after their mother. That's the only salvation there. Here's what we can't do at Christmas. We can't just act like it's business as usual. Oh, ho-hum, another Christmas. No, 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 no. This is too big. This is too important. This is too powerful. God has something for you. He wants to gift you a fresh understanding at Christmas. And so today, let's examine how we're ready and if we're ready to receive the message of Christmas. And I just want to look at the, the characters of Christmas, the, those who are actually there uh, on the first Christmas. And of course, the first one we start with is Mary. Here's what it says in, in Luke 1. Starting verse 26, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, now Elizabeth is her relative who in old age became pregnant. We'll talk about that in a few moments. God sent the angel um, Gabriel to Nazareth in a town in Galilee to a virgin, pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at these words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid. Christmas greeting. And Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. You're to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Now, just like when my friend was going to give me bad news, the first question came to my mind is, how bad is this bad news? Um, we, get, we get kind of questions. And the kinds of questions we get tell us a lot about us. Here's, here's Mary's questions. How will this be, since I am a virgin? Now, Mary's question is simply this. She, you know, she was, uh, lived in an agrarian society. She knew how this thing worked. She'd seen this operation among the sheep and so on, and she knew what it took to get there, and she hadn't done that, so she couldn't get there. And so she's kind of like, technically, how's this going to work? I'm, I, I, it's just, it, it's an interesting thing. Because her, her question is really, maybe it's like when you get news that's too good to be true. She's like, well, this is amazing. You know, the, the coming Messiah. Wow, but this is, wow, this is just too good to be true. I don't know if you ever get that. In our world, we tend not to get that too much, um, which makes it hard for us to believe the Gospels and the good news. But what about things like, uh, I know the plans I have for you. I want to give you hope and a future. It's a promise from God, by the way. But what do we do when we hear that? Do we, do we, what, what is the question that comes to mind when we hear news that's too good to be true? Or, or, or just the fact that uh, you can be forgiven of all you've ever done wrong. You can, you can just walk away from it and, and have a relationship with your creator and, and spend eternity in heaven. And, and, and your question is, what do I need to do? How, what is it going to cost me? How, how do, what do I have to pay? Do I have to you know, clean up my act to get it? And we start to question, how do I get there? And then they say, no, no, you just receive it. Just open your hands and receive it. And you're going, oh, that's too good to be true. But here's Mary. She's probably a 14-, 15-year-old girl living in a little village in the middle of nowhere. We can take you there when we go back to Israel and, and to the very kind of within a few feet of probably where she lived and show you a house that's dug out there and, and you can see it. And, and, and she's just kind of taking the angel at his word and going, hmm, how is this going to work out? And what's really great about that is how, how is this going to work? And the angel says, well, we're going to take your egg and we're going to take, and we're going to, no, he doesn't say that at all. He just says, the spirit will overshadow you and you'll get pregnant. That's all he says. He doesn't answer the question. He just, nope, God will take care of it. God will make it happen. 
No explanation. So here's what's really interesting. What do you do with that? How does she get from how is this going to be to may it be unto me as you have said? How does she get there? What does she weigh in that, in that decision? What is, let me tell you what gets you there. The character of God. Now, if I were to take a survey of where you get your news from, it would be fairly diverse probably, maybe even polarized. And, 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 but I'll guarantee you where you get your news from is because you it, it either trust the person or the organization giving it, or at least you know they're biased to the point that you can believe them. Or what percentage of what they say you can believe. Right? Here's what Mary does. This is a word. This is a word from God through this angel. What do I know about God? She was a Jew. She knew about God. She knew all about God. She knew how to serve God. She knew God's word. She knew how to trust God's character. You see, when God makes promises that are too good to be true, or so it seems, then stop and ask yourself, is God lying? When the Bible says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If you read that in context, understand it in context, is God lying or is that true? So at some point, you either have to call God a liar or you have to accept his promises. Right? All things work together for good for those who love God and live according to his purposes. It's promises from God. Is God telling me the truth? Can I receive that in this moment? Or am I going to call God a liar? Based on God's character, I believe his promises. Based on God's character, Mary said, let it be as you have said. Let it be. She believed, she trusted because of God's character. Maybe you're facing some issue this year and then and you're hoping for something that just seems too good to be true. Maybe you find yourself in that situation where you want to start a family and it's not happening yet or where there's this next, next possibility and you're just a little bit afraid to step into it because it just looked really hard, but you're pretty sure it's the right thing to do. Do you trust God? Do you trust his character? Because if we do, we can step into those things that God has for us. Look at the author of the promise and see what God will do. She trusted his character and God changed everything through her. What about Joseph, her, what we would call fiance? They were committed to each other. They were pledged to be married to each other, but they had not come together yet in marriage. Here's what it says about Joseph, who, by the way, was a builder. Some earlier translations in the English said carpenter, but I've been to Israel. There's not a lot of wood, so it's mostly masonry, but some carpentry. Builder would be a better translation. Matthew 1 says this. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because jo Now, by the way, this we don't know a lot about Joseph. This passage right here will tell you a lot about Joseph. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to law. In other words, he was a man who wanted to please God, to do right. But listen to this other part. And yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. Please God. And yet he did not want to be harsh or mean to Mary. Now, here's an interesting thing. What do you, what do, you do when the good news looks like bad news? What do you do when the good news looks like bad news? I've had this so many times in my life. There was something I was hoping for, something I was praying for, something I was believing for, and it was a no. And only later did I find out that if that no had come about, it would have been disastrous. I could do an hour on experiences I've had with that. Because you see, I'm usually wrong about most things. 
Because I think this is the way it needs to work out. I think this needs to happen. I think this needs to happen. And God's going, why would I settle for that? I'm all powerful. God, I'm going to do so much more. I'm going to do so much more. But here's what's interesting in this. In this moment, he asks himself, the question he asks is is a weird question. Because he doesn't seem to ask, why me? He seems to ask, what's the right thing to do? And how will it impact those that I care about? That's a rare, that's a rare character. Don't you think? Because if, if I'm Joseph and if most of you are Joseph, you would be saying things like, this is terrible and I got to find somebody to blame. And half of the answer to who to blame is right in front of you because she's pregnant. And there's another half you can find and we'll deal with that too. That's how I would react. Right? Would you not? Don't give me that blank look like you wouldn't act. You'd be ticked just like I would. Here's the thing. So, so he's a builder. I thought this was interesting. I was thinking about this this week. Joseph's a builder. I have this, I have this channel that I watch, and it's, a, and it's a framing inspector. So you know, like, and they're building houses, and they do framing, and the guy goes and inspects the framing, and he talks about it as an educational tool. And some houses he walks through, and somebody misses. Oh, I think they missed this one. They'll probably need to fix that. But no big deal. But some houses he walks through, you can tell him, and he won't say it, but he'll just say, well, look at this right here, and this, these two studs are about you know, three-quarters of an inch off the base plate, and that's not going to work. And, and then he goes in, and, and by about the sixth thing he points out of this one builder, you begin to get a sense about the character of the person building it, the framer, if you will. You know what I'm saying? Like, he knows that this, if nobody catches it, that this will be covered by siding on the outside, drywall on the inside, so who really cares? And when it finally comes, uh, it falls apart or whatever it is, I'll be long gone, I don't care. It's about the character of the builder. And then other times I'll see him uh, looking at a framing, and he'll go, look at this, and they put an extra backing here for the drywall, that's a really good building, and they put extra support here and this, and, and they made sure that the, the, the faucets had something to attach to behind it, and he'll just, and you get a sense about the builder that he's trying to do it right, even if there's siding on the outside, drywall on the inside, nobody will ever see it, he knows he did it right. Joseph was that kind of guy. He was a do-it-right kind of guy. When he thought that, that Mary had gotten pregnant, he was still going to do right. He was going to do right by what God wanted and even do right by her, even though she didn't deserve it. Right? I thought about adding a t-shirt to our, our merch house out there, which says, real men do right. And I thought, that's cute. That's funny. And then I got to thinking about it. Uh, you know, ladies, don't enjoy this too much. Ronald, pick on the guys for a minute. What would happen just in our country alone if men did right? What would happen? I mean, just look at the statistics on crime. Look at, look at how our society is struggling in so many areas. If just this one thing happened and men did right, did the right thing, what would happen in our cities, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our homes, in our marriages, if men just decided to be like Joseph and do right. Joseph's a hero for doing right, for doing what was right. I decided not to put it in the merch house because I knew all the women would buy them and give them to men and men would be insulted and hate me. So I decided not to do it. But think about this. Joseph is going to do right. He's not going to marry this woman who's been sinful, evidently, but he's going to care for her quietly. He's going to go beyond. But here's what happens. 
in a dream. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you're to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. When Joseph woke up, what did he do? He did right. He did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. Took Mary home as his wife. As his wife. Wow, that's amazing. He chose obedience. He chose to do right. And you know what happened because he did that? He was made king. Oh, no, wait a minute. He wasn't. No. He was lifted up on people's shoulders and exonerated. No, no, I mean, honored. No, no, no. We don't know what happened to Joseph. After Jesus turned 12, went to the temple with his family, we don't know anything about Joseph. He didn't get some kind of, kind of victor's parade. We don't know what happened, but we know he did right. When you do right, God will take care of the outcomes. When you sign up for God's blueprint, the thing will get built that needs to get built. And the truth is, today, you may be looking at a situation, and it may look like bad news to you. Could I encourage you to trust God and just keep doing right? Just keep being obedient? Let me, just give, let me give you one principle, just one freebie from my own life that I, I really try to practice. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying I'm good at it. I'm saying I'm trying to practice it. When what comes to me looks like bad news, I'm going to trust God to bring the good news eventually. And in the meantime, and here's the critical part, I want to keep a sweet spirit. I want to keep a sweet spirit because it's so much easier to get bitter and to blame and be angry and feel sorry for yourself. I mean, nobody else does that except me. I know, but it's my issue. I get it. But the reality is we've got a whole world sitting around blaming others, being bitter, and it's just eating us alive. What if you let go of it, let God be in charge of the outcomes and you keep a sweet spirit? And like Joseph, be heroic and just keep doing right. Just keep doing right. It's interesting. I was uh, one time that happened. One of the, and it was it was a life decision, a big deal, and it got bad news. It was about what I was going to do in the ministry, where I was going, and I've told the story many times. And I was uh, out uh, playing tennis with a buddy of mine, an older gentleman, and uh, and I kind of said, "What do you do when when you get bad news?" And he said, "You just keep doing the last thing you know for sure God told you to do." Just keep doing the last thing you know for sure God told you to do. Joseph, he was going to do right. And then by the angel, God told him to do something else. And so I would add to my friend's advice, keep doing the last thing you know for sure God told you to do until he tells you the next thing. And when he does, jump on it. He'll make it clear. He'll open the door. See, a lot of us, we got something so bad. We want it to be God's will so bad. He puts doors. We keep knocking doors down and we wonder why it doesn't work out. Just wait for God's open door. It'll be better than your own solution. Does that make sense? No? It made so much sense in my head. Maybe it was for me. Maybe it wasn't for you at all. Maybe I'm supposed to be listening to this sermon. That could be it. I'm okay with that. It's usually what happens. How about Herod? Those of you who are not kind of Bible people, Herod was the king over Israel, but he wasn't really the king because Romans ruled over Herod, so he was kind of a puppet king. And um, when the good news came to him, here's what he said in Matthew 2. The wise men, the magi from afar came, told him about the, about the, the new king of the Jews being born. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. The reason all Jerusalem was disturbed is because King Herod got disturbed, he started killing people. Whenever he got upset, he just started killing people. And not one or two, like masses of people. So here's the deal. When he hears the king of the Jews, what does he think? He thinks, this is threatening my position or power. That's what he thinks. Instead of saying it's good news, it's, it's good news for all mankind, it's great joy, all this stuff. He, no, 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 does this threaten my position of power? He was paranoid. He wanted to be in charge. See, here's the problem for most of us. We can't receive Christmas the first time 
much less any subsequent times, because we can't get ourselves out of the way. I need to be in charge. I need to maintain control. I, 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 I. And when we do that, we completely miss Christmas, because Christmas is not about I. It's about him. I don't want to be careful with this, because I don't want to offend you if you're not a Christian. I think this is the greatest news possible for you and for me, for everyone. Over um, many years, I've shared my faith with a whole lot of people. And there are some who just don't know. And so I share and they begin to understand what Scripture is about and be very excited about Christ and what he's done. Um, others have been wounded and hurt by someone who called himself a Christian. And I have to apologize on their behalf and say, I'm sorry. Christians are awful people sometimes. I'm sorry that happened to you. But sometimes they begin to share and they begin to throw up intellectual barriers. And there are answers for many of those barriers. There are at least explanations, plausible explanations for many of the questions they ask. And then the more I go, the more their arms fold and I, I realize, oh, wait a minute. I know what the real issue, all this other stuff is smoke screens. These are flares. The real issue is you don't want to give up control because you think you're in control. And, and, I, and I do something and I hope it's not a terrible thing to do. I just stop. I just quit. Because I realize that nothing I say is going to argue them into into the kingdom, and I begin to pray. Not verbally, not in front of them, but when I leave them, I pray. Lord, bring them to the end of themselves. Bring them to the end of themselves. Let them know they're not in charge of the world or even their own life. Lord, I pray that they will realize before it's too late that they realize that they're not in control. Sometimes tough things happen. Sometimes business has to go away. Sometimes the marriage has to fall apart. Sometimes health gets lost until someone comes to acknowledge, oh, I'm not in control. See, Herod couldn't do that, so he couldn't receive Christmas. And today, I just, I just want to warn you, because we all have this tendency. We all want to sit on the throne of our own lives. We're not talking about just your life. We're talking about your eternity. You are not in control. I'm not in control. Why not trust the one who is in control? And unlike Herod, who so much wanted to be in control that when the wise men didn't come back to him and tell him about the birth of Jesus and where it was, he just sent military into Bethlehem to kill all the children who were born around the time he thought Jesus was because he was so in control. When he died, this is true from extra-biblical sources, he actually had the military slaughter thousands of people so at least somebody would be crying for somebody's death at his funeral. He was an awful person trying to be in charge of your own life. Can he lead you to awful places because it doesn't work? And you try harder and harder, and it works even less. Hmm. And, and there's another person. His name is Zechariah, and I'll end with this guy. Zechariah was Elizabeth, who was Mary's relative. She was old. Zechariah was a priest. He went to the temple, and um, an angel appeared to him in the temple, said, you're going to have a son, told him all this amazing stuff about, about what was going to happen. At the end of the, the angel telling Zechariah what was going to happen. Here was Zechariah said, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. But there's an interesting thing. He asked, in essence, the same question Mary did. How can this be? But he asked it in a different attitude because the angel responded differently to him. The angel said, really? You don't believe God could do that? It's not what he said, but that's the translation, basically, the Doyle translation. So you don't believe God could do that? Fine, I'm going to make you mute until your son is born. By the way, his son was going to become a guy named John the Baptist, who was to prepare the way for the people to hear the story of Jesus and the sacrifice of Jesus. See, he didn't believe. So the question is, what, it, what, when, what happens when the good news comes, but you don't have enough 
faith to believe it. What happens when God promises you the promised land, but says, now you got to go possess it. Now you got to step into something you don't even have the faith to step into. You can walk away from it. You can disbelieve it. You can give up on it. Or you can ask God for more faith. Some of you have hopes and dreams that are not working out. There's a woman stood right here a few weeks ago. said to me, Doyle, I need to tell you what happened in my life. said, my husband and I have been married for many years. And we got to the point where we, we weren't even roommates. We didn't even like each other. And we were about to get a divorce. She said, I heard a message. And I said, I need to stop growing apart from my husband, grow toward my husband, and ask for God's help. I said, but I didn't want to grow toward my husband, but I knew it was the right thing. So I began to ask God, help me, help me to love my husband. Help me to do what is right in this situation. And then if we get a divorce, then I know I did my best. And she began to pray that, and she began to treat her husband differently, not because she wanted to, not because she felt something, but because she knew it was the right thing to do. And she began to pray, and she every day would just ask God, give me the strength, give me the courage, give me a, a, a presence of mind to be different, to be more loving, to treat my husband the way he should be treated. Said, now it's two years later, we've got the greatest marriage we've ever had. I can't tell you how it changed everything. Maybe you're sitting today in a marriage that you've about given up for. Could I just say, maybe ask for just a little bit? You know, the Bible says that a mustard seed, tiny little seed, of faith can change everything. Could you just maybe ask today, God could give me enough faith to believe for my marriage just for today. I'll ask again tomorrow, but just for today. Maybe, maybe you've got a, an adult child who's just off doing self-destructive things. It's one of the most painful things I see parents go through. And they've disappointed you so many times. You just want to give up. Could you just today say, God, I don't have enough faith to believe you could turn this around. I don't have enough faith. Could you give me faith? By the way, one of the things that we think is we think we manufacture faith. I'm going to concentrate. I'm going to really believe. You know, faith comes from God and from hearing his word. So begin to read God's word and begin to ask God for more faith because he gives you the faith to believe. What if you begin to ask God for faith for that thing that needs to happen that you've given up on? What if, what if I don't know what it is. Maybe you've got this secret thing in your life this blemish on your conscience that just you can't seem to stop. Could you ask for just enough faith to just stay sober today? Just enough faith to stay sober today. And then tomorrow, again, you go before God and ask for faith. Maybe for you it's so much less obvious and seemingly unimportant, yet it is eating you from the inside out. There's this wrong that has been done to you. There is this pain that you carry with you, this bitterness, this blaming that you just, you know what was, what was done was wrong and everybody agrees it was wrong and you've decided to live in bitterness and yet it is tearing you apart. Could you have enough faith to let go of it just for today? Just enough faith to take a first step. See, in the end, Zechariah didn't have a lot of faith. So he kind of got his mouth shut for a while. But God still blessed him. God doesn't call us to have all the faith we need. He calls us to be willing to receive faith. So today, here's my question for you. We're done. I'm going to finish. What's your question? There's something, when I've been talking, there's something in your mind, something that's made you sad, something that's, that you're anticipating, hoping, but you don't really want to believe for it because it, it would be too great to be true, but you think it might be God's will or, or, or there's someone who you're praying, or there's something there and, and you've got this haunting question. Could you have enough faith today to receive the message fresh, to move beyond your question into faith, into trusting, into receiving the good news all over again.
and letting it bring Christmas change to you. We all need Christmas changes. What's yours? Let's pray. Lord God, I, I know what my stuff is. You know what my stuff is. We talk about my stuff all the time. Lord, what I'm excited to do is talk about your stuff. The love, the peace, the joy, the gift of Christmas. I am so glad that it's real, that it's true, that it happened, that it happens even today. And I pray for anyone here today who's caught in the question. Release them from the question, Lord God. Help them move beyond the question to the faith, to the receiving, to the seeing your plan at work in their life. Even if they can't believe for it right in this moment, give them faith. Let this Christmas change us and those around us. And once again, receive the miracle of Christmas of the baby who came to die for us, to, be, to die on a cross so that we could be forgiven, be resurrected so we'd have the hope of eternal life and to send the Spirit to walk with us every day. Let this Christmas be a Christmas that changes everything. In Jesus' name, amen.